Welcome to The Productivity Show, the agent efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, Brooks and I talk about how to manage your focus when you're forced to split it between multiple areas of responsibility. This is something that is becoming more and more common as people are involved in more organizations besides just work and home, and they've got more responsibilities on their plate but it can easily become overwhelming wearing multiple hats like this. Nobody likes feeling like they can't honor the commitments they've made or being stressed out from feeling like we've got too much to do. But many times it's not that we're overcommitted, we just don't have the system in place to manage everything well. So in this episode, Brooks and I share some takeaways from actual coaching calls that our team has done with people who are trying to balance wearing many hats and share some simple strategies to help you regain control of your time and help you focus on what you should be doing when you should be doing it. And if you are overcommitted, then this episode will help you realize that as well and show you how you can identify what you should keep and what should go. You can find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 146. And now, on with the show. All right, so this episode, we're trying something a little bit different. We are actually recording this live in front of our dojo audience. So this is a little bit experimental. We'll see how this works out. It's a little bit more nerve-wracking knowing that the dojo is actually listening live and able to interact with us via (laughs) chat in the dojo Slack channel as we record this. But uh, hopefully, we'll have a bunch of people in there who have a bunch of questions that we can answer as we go. Uh, But I just announced that we were doing this yesterday, so we'll really see how this goes. Yeah, I've done lots of live webinars, but I've never done a live podcast. So this is going to be exciting. It's either going to be really awesome or it's going to be a complete explosion, but that can be kind of fun too. So either way is good. (laughs) I've always listened to ATP and those types of shows and been jealous when they talk about the people in the chat who are offering corrections and things as, as they go. And so I'm excited that we're able to do this and hopefully we can just continue to iterate on this and make it even better. But first time is always a little nerve wracking. <laughs> uh, but I am fairly confident that our audience should have questions about today's topic because this is something that has come up repeatedly in the coaching calls that we've done lately. And that is figuring out what to do when you have to wear many different hats. So we've changed some of the names to protect the innocent, but we're these are actual coaching calls that we're going to go through and kind of provide some coaching live on the podcast on some of the issues that these people are are having. So these are real people with, with real issues. But before we jump into those calls, let's kind of talk about this topic in general of wearing many hats and the problem with this. And the, really the problem is that you've got all these different things that you have to do, all these different areas of responsibility And when you switch from one to the next, there's a very real cost to that context switching. Uh, One of the best ways that I've heard this described is by Sophie Leroy. Uh, She described it as attention residue. And Sophie Leroy is a researcher, I believe, at the University of Minnesota uh, who published a paper called Why Is It So Hard to Do My Work? And that probably sounds familiar to a lot of our listeners But her study concluded that when you switch from one task A to another task B, your attention doesn't immediately follow. A residue of your attention remains stuck thinking about that original task. And she did a bunch of different tests, but the results were always the same, that people experiencing attention residue after switching tasks are likely to demonstrate poor performance on that next task, 
when you perform poorly and you've switched from one area of responsibility to the next, that's kind of compounded because you know, oh, I've got to go back and I've got to do that thing right, but you have no idea when you're going to do that and you're not able to apply your full focus and your full attention to the task that you're trying to focus on at that moment. So this is kind of a, a negative cycle. Yeah, I think anyone who has had multiple browser windows open and you're trying to do multiple things at the same time has experienced this in a little bit. And knowledge workers, people who do knowledge work, can really, I'm sure, identify with this concept of too many hats and context switching. There's so many different demands on the time in the job itself, let alone all the other things going on in you know life and other responsibilities. So it's huge. Yeah. And that whole topic, obviously, of work-life balance is something that we've talked a lot about. In fact, Dojo member Gary Smith was on to talk about the work-life balance. And I believe either you and I or Tan and I actually talked about that in a separate episode as well. So we'll make sure that we put links to those episodes in the show notes. But if you haven't listened to those episodes, essentially, the Asian deficiency stance is that there is no work-life balance. There is just life. And it is up to you to make it all work. And if you have a bunch of different areas of responsibilities, no one is forcing you to do these things. You have to choose the things that are going to be most important. And you can't say yes to everything. Now, I've got a a story, I guess, about the moment that this became crystal clear to me. And that was when I was in the middle of a big product development push at the the company that I was at Private, which was a family-owned software business. And we were working with a software development team, which was literally located all over the world. And so in that situation, Asian efficiency, honestly, is the same sort of thing with people all over the world. So if you don't set the boundaries, then you have the ability for any of your team members to interrupt you at any given moment. So what happened in that situation was that the developers who were working on this literally on the other side of the world, uh, when they would have questions or whatever, they would comment and the tool we were using was Basecamp, I would get those notifications and I would get them in the middle of the night. I would get them when I was at dinner with my family. And I noticed that I hadn't had the revelation of taming my notifications yet, but I would check those things when they would come in. And it was kind of a a light bulb moment when I realized that I was responding to one of these things and one of the developers wasn't telling me about a problem that that they had encountered. And if anybody's done product development, you know that that's just par for the course. That happens all the time. And you just overcome these objections. But at that given moment, it completely changed my mood. And I was completely engrossed in dealing with this work, quote unquote, problem that honestly, no additional good was coming from it for me responding to it immediately. It would have been perfectly fine if I wouldn't have checked my email, just let it sit till the morning. But I noticed and I caught myself that I was completely consumed. I could feel my blood boiling. I was getting angry because there was this issue. And man, this is going to set us back. And I got to deal with this right now. And I realized like it's 630. I'm at home. I'm eating dinner with my family. And I'm not even thinking about spending time with the people who really mean the most to me. That's not really fair (laughs) to them. But also it's not fair to me either because instead of being... Uh, instead of instead of that being restful and me recuperating and getting jacked up to go back to work and just crush it tomorrow, I'm letting this thing steal my focus and my attention from where it should be. So we talk about being fully engaged all the time. And I think that that's kind of a buzzword in people who maybe are new to the productivity space. They hear that and they don't really like it. They think it's just one of those things that you say, nobody knows what it means. 
and it just sounds good. But at that particular moment, I totally understood it. Like I had let this email from somebody that I had never met in a work hmm. project that really wasn't that important completely derail my entire evening. And that's that's what can happen if you don't have these boundaries set up, especially when you wear these different hats and you have all these different areas of responsibility. Yeah. And not only that, but if you think about it from the other side, whatever, I mean, I'm sure the response you gave was brilliant, but whatever, you know, response you give, whatever answer you give to that problem, when you're thinking about it, sitting at the dinner table with your family talking in one ear and getting annoyed is not going to probably be as good as if you, the next day you sat down at your desk and actually focused and gave it a lot of thought. So you're almost, it's almost like the worst of both worlds. You're annoying your family, you're annoying yourself, and you're not giving as good of a thoughtful answer as you would have if you had just waited for the, the next day. And I've definitely been in that situation. And I'm sure all of our listeners have been in a similar sort of story at some point. Yeah, absolutely. You know that that saying that there's there's a time and a place for everything. And that's really the importance of boundaries is it compartmentalizes things where you can say at this given moment, this is the thing that I should be doing. And then you can laser focus on that one thing. And then when you're done, you can move on to the next thing, even if it's a different area of responsibility. But when you just jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, that's where you experience the attention residue. And that's where the quality of your work or the quality of just the time that you're spending, in my case, of the people who mean the most to you really suffers. And so that's what we're going to get into in this episode as we dissect some of these coaching calls that we've done is how do you establish these boundaries as it pertains to all these different areas of responsibility. The fact that you have all these different areas of responsibility, by the way, is not a negative thing. Okay, I'm involved in a lot of different things. I'm very involved in, in, in our church. I've got a lot of different things that I'm involved in both professionally and personally, and that's completely okay. That's Honestly, I saw some uh, some research recently that showed that uh, employers are actually looking for people who have side projects and side interests because it re- results in a, a better end product to the act, to the company and the organization that they are, uh, that they are working for. Uh, but you need to be able to balance all these things and be able to focus on the right one at the right time. I went to the Entree Leadership One Day Summit recently, uh, and actually Asian Efficiency sent me. It was awesome. If, for those of you who aren't familiar with Entree Leadership, it's the business brand of Dave Ramsey. And there was somebody there who was talking about work-life balance, and their approach I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and I like the way that they explained it. They said that life, there is, they again said that there is no work-life balance. There's just life and you have to balance it. But they said that life balance is achieved when you live out your values. So as it pertains to the multiple areas of responsibility, wearing many different hats, what that means to me is that you want to make sure that the things that you are spending your time, your attention, your energy, and your focus on, very limited resources that are very valuable are the things that really are important to you, not to somebody else or not something that you heard said, I really should be doing this. You want to really make sure that these are the things that are important to you personally. Yeah. And uh, I'm just checking in on the dojo. The The number one contribution is from Tan, CEO of Asian Efficiency, who wants us to remind everyone who the king of Carcassonne is. So that's, that's Tan's important contribution to this topic. 
<laughs> I'm doing pretty well in the game that we're currently playing though. I think I might take the crown. Yeah, speaking of speaking of wearing many hats, this this podcast is uh is intruding on our work-life balance of a intense Carcassonne game that was happening just before it. <laughs> but the show must go on yes, for the yes. benefit of the dojo members yes. and the listening audience. That's right. <laughs> All right, so we've talked a little bit about attention residue. We've talked a little bit about the importance of boundaries. Let's talk about some of these calls that we had recently. And this first person, we've changed the names, like I said. So this is not that person's actual name, but we'll just call her Jane. So Jane uh, wears many hats at work as an operations manager, and she has lots of people who expect them to solve a lot of problems for them. And I'm sure that there's a few listeners that right away, they're like, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> so when we talked to Jane, we identified essentially that she has to switch tasks quickly and she needs to manage the team expectations and establish times where she can't be interrupted. But that is much easier said than done. Uh, did you have any other details you wanted to add to Jane's situation before we talk about some of the solutions and strategies, Brooks? Yeah, she was a an interesting but not uncommon i wouldn't say case where it's just the 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 nature of her role a lot of people have have found that they they are able to interrupt her like it's just i'm sure she didn't intend it to be this way but it just worked out that she has constant people and they feel they feel that they have the right anytime to just whatever whatever she's doing their request is more important so so that was her big challenge is okay this pattern has developed how do we uh, battle against this yeah and that can be really tough you know it's it's one thing to talk about how do you set yourself up so you don't have to deal with this but it's another thing well it's not actually another thing but it feels like another thing when you have kind of created this situation when you've when you've let people interrupt you at all hours of the day and now you're going to say sorry guys from this time to this time I am going to be incommunicado like that's that, that can be really really scary yeah and it's not it's not anyone's fault it's just these things tend to happen uh because you know you're so busy putting out fires in your normal job you just don't have the you you haven't felt like you have the time or the energy to actually take it head on but uh she's now at the point where that's something she wants to do and that's really the first step is identifying that yes this is something that I want to do a lot of people have initial resistance to this but everybody that I know ha that has actually implemented this has after they've gone through it it can be scary telling your team don't bug me during these these times but everybody that I know that has done that they've said that the experience really wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. Uh, and in fact, in one situation in particular, I remember somebody saying that the team actually functions a lot better now because I have the time and space to be more relaxed and more appropriately engaged with what I'm supposed to be doing. And that has trickled down to the rest of the team. And they're perfectly fine waiting to notify me of these things that need my attention. Uh, so that first step, though, is identifying that we are going to rock the boat. The status quo is going to be changed and there are going to be some bumps along the way, but it's probably not going to be as bad as you think it is. When we introduce these, we call them office hours, I guess, but essentially it's like a shared calendar for your team where as long as you put this on your calendar, that communicates the expectations. So if you're going to say, well, like Tan, for example, has mentioned on Thursday afternoons, 
That's when he does his backlog grooming, and he's typically not on hip chat. He's not available to the team, generally speaking, and that's completely fine. And obviously, if we really needed to get a hold of him, we could. But he's created the time and space to to focus on the things that are very important to moving the company forward in the right direction. And guess what? Work goes on. Like we <laughs> we continue with the work in the sprint, and we continue to ship things. We continue to make things. Just the, the fact that he's not online for a couple hours doesn't cause the entire company to stop working, which is kind of the the fear that a lot of people have, I think. Yeah, and this this has been a theme that came up in a lot of the calls and the surveys, which has been a really uh, educational process, I'd say. And a lot of people feel that they have to be connected all the time. And they're letting their team or their coworkers or their family members or whatever down if they're not always connectable. But like you said, more often than not, there isn't as much resistance or pushback to this as, as you think it's going to be. It just takes a little bit of courage to actually set it up and do it. And then once the expectation is, is set and implemented, people generally respect it. Yep. Uh, now, in addition to, because we're talking about wearing multiple hats here. So this is one area. This is the kind of the, the work area, but that's not the only issue that Jane is dealing with. It kind of sounded like she's got all of these different things and she's jumping from thing to thing to thing uh, and she's doing it all in the same place. So another solution that might work for Jane, and I've had I've had some experience with this also, is changing your physical location. For a long time, what I did is I would kind of hop from coffee shop to coffee shop or, or place where I could get uh, Wi-Fi because I didn't have a quiet place at home where I could work on things. And uh, I needed to just change my physical environment every so often. And I would use that time in transit between the different locations, even if it was just walking from the coffee shop that I like down the down the road to uh, to the library. Just the, the fact that I was moving locations and I was walking for those two minutes, that was enough for me to fully change my context and go from focusing on one thing to focusing on something completely different. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be different areas of responsibility. It could be different tasks that you're working on. So for Asian efficiency, for example, there's a lot of like really creative type tasks. Like we're doing this podcast right now, or working on a script for a video, or uh, working on updating the slide deck for a free training that we're going to be doing. Like those require one one type of mental attitude towards the work. But then something like we were doing this morning before our weekly uh, our weekly meeting, where we're crunching numbers and getting some metrics, things like that. That's a totally different mindset. So you could also break this up based on on mindset instead of instead of viewing like wearing multiple hats as physically different positions or our occupations, different organizations. Yeah, I used to do this a lot in my corporate days. If there was something I really needed to focus on, uh, you know, we had cubicles and stuff like that. But if there was something I really needed to focus on, I'd reserve a breakout room or a meeting room. A lot of times you think you have to, and obviously that depends on the organization and the office, but a lot of times people think they have to have a meeting in order to use one of these rooms. But I would just, if I wanted to do deep work, I would just reserve one and have a, a meeting of one. Or if it's something I really, really like, didn't want to be found, then I would go, like you said, off for half an hour down to a, a, a coffee shop or even a, a lobby in a in an office tower downtown where I was and and just do it there. Just that getting away, even if it's for a really short time, can have a lot of benefit. And uh, in, in the in the dojo chat, Patricia 
actually brings up a great point, which is, you know, we're, we're talking about it like defining times when you when you can't be bugged uh, so that people know not to disturb you. But it kind of goes the other way, too. If you define specific times where people can come and, and talk to you, like define define office hours sort of thing like we talked about it kind of makes people it has the maybe intended or unintended consequence of people become a lot more focused on what they're going to come in with when they come to ask you questions because they know they're they're coming in at a certain time so they usually have the information thought through before they even walk in the door which is great great point yeah, that's a that's a really important distinction. And I think that's kind of next level productivity, to be honest, yeah. for a lot of people <laughs> yeah. who are just completely overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Like there, I think there's a lot of people who they would be happy if they could just create one or two hours a week to have that time and space to to focus on the things that are really important, but they feel like they can't create that. So I would I would say that if you're in that situation, the very first thing you want to do is you want to block off the time that you cannot be interrupted. But even better, absolutely, would be the situation that Patricia described where you have specific times where people can come and bring you those issues. That would be the ideal scenario, I would say. Yep. All right. So we talked about a couple different general solutions. Uh, Let's talk about specifically two different strategies for Jane. Uh, Number one, I would say, is work on your terms. And that goes back to the whole idea of establishing these boundaries, whether that is just creating a little bit of time where people cannot interrupt you or saying in general, like Patricia was saying, don't interrupt me except for this time. If you did either of those strategies, I think you would see some improvement. The other thing I would say in terms of working on your own terms and establishing boundaries is Look at how you deal with email. Yeah. Uh, I know we harp on email a lot, but this is such a big issue. You know, we talked a lot about email and how it counts for 6.3 hours per day for the average U.S. worker. I mean, if you're looking for the 80-20, the one thing that you could do to create some some space and some peace of mind, it would be look at your email less often. Uh, email is essentially a to-do list that other people can write on. And it is very, very hard, especially if you are starting from scratch to establish your boundaries via email. It can be very hard to say no to somebody via email if you're not used to saying no. And that kind of leads us into the second one, which is learn to say no. Yeah, it's that saying, right? You know, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And it's so true, you know, just, just this act of saying no to things allows you to do a lot of other more important things. And it can be scary at first. I'm definitely not somebody who for who uh in fact i'm already starting to have this reputation in asian efficiency so it's something i'm trying to work on but uh, i'm not somebody for whom uh saying no comes naturally i usually just say yes and figure it out but really it's a a really important skill to learn because it really frees you up to get that you know get your goals that you actually have to do uh, accomplished if you're saying no to things that don't allow you to to fulfill your goals. Yeah. And it's, I mean, a lot of times we don't think about this stuff in the right mind because we don't realize the importance of doing these things regularly. And when we skip going to the gym, we feel like, oh, it's no big deal because we don't see any immediate benefit or negative effect from doing that. It's a cumulative thing. So you can find yourself in a situation where you've said yes to a bunch of different things 
And if, if I were to, to quiz this person, let's just use myself as an example. Okay, I've, I've overcommitted and I'm not having the time to spend at home with my family. Okay, so if I were to talk to myself in that situation, I would say, what is, what is your priority? What is the thing that is most important to you? And I would honestly say spending time with my family. But that doesn't happen because I make an exception on one day, I make an exception the next day, I make an exception the next day, and that's the whole cats in the cradle thing. You know, you look up and your, your kids are growing up. That's why it is so important to say no, because literally what I am doing when I say Oh, when I make those exceptions, when I say that today I am going to do this specific thing, then I am saying no to spending time with my with my family. And if I were to frame it that way, it wouldn't I, I probably wouldn't define it that way. I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd say something I'd rationalize it. I'd say something like, well, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying not right now. Yeah, <laughs> but but we have to be honest with ourselves. Like if you're going to continually to do, continually do these things and when you accept these different areas of responsibility, these different hats that you are choosing to wear, that's fine. But recognize that when you are saying yes to those things, you are saying no to something else. And you have to look at how you actually spend your time, not how you think you spend your time. Mm-hmm. So use that time tracker if you have to. But identify how you are actually spending your time and see if that is actually lining up with your values, if you are living your life in alignment. And then sometimes you have to make some tough choices and put things right. Yeah, we were just talking about that the other day, how, you know, whether the value of time trackers and, and one, of the, one of the big values is a lot of times we have no idea how much time we spend on things that aren't in alignment with our goals and values. But the only way to really find that out is, is to track it. Yep. And if you are looking at getting into time tracking, uh, one app that I actually just started using is called Timing. Uh, It's a Mac app and it runs automatically, which is why I've been playing around with it lately. And uh, they just came out with a new version, but it's also part of the SetApp subscription service. So I actually have a subscription to SetApp and it was part of that. So I just started using it for free, but it is a great app where it will tell you how productive you are by how you are spending time on your computer. And this this would be the first place I would look for creating more time. So if you, chances are that if you're like most people, you're seeking that any benefit approach that we've talked about a lot and you're spending a lot of time on social media or, or websites that really aren't providing a whole lot of benefit, but they do provide a little bit of benefit. They provide a distraction, and so it makes you feel good. Uh, but when you're when you look at your statistics for the week and you see that, oh my gosh, I spent six hours on Twitter, you know that <laughs> it's black and white. You can't argue that. So uh, might want to check out check out that app. Cool. And I guess uh, you know Chandler's in the <laughs> in the chat. He's saying that he also has trouble saying no. You posed the question there, yeah. so this is uh, this is something that honestly I think everybody deals with. Even even myself. I'm sure YouTube Brooks you yeah. mentioned with work stuff, but uh, I mean this this is something that you just have to get in the habit of of uh, of developing this skill. And the more that you do it, the easier it gets. But uh, the first time that you say no to something, it can be really, really scary because we like to have people like us. We like to feel important. And that's where a lot of the stuff with email comes in. You know, people are emailing us and we think, oh, they must rely on us. They must need me to do this. Well, maybe, but maybe they're just asking you because you're the easy button. (laughs) They know that you'll take care of it. I just went through this exact thing uh, recently. Uh, Over the years, I started doing my in-laws taxes 
and then uh, I did my parents' taxes, and then I did my aunt's taxes, and this kind of snowballed year after year after year, where it was always just every every year at tax time, it was just complete bonkers because I'd be doing all these tax returns. And finally, this year, I said, okay, that's it. You know, I'm even willing to pay for you guys to have someone else to do it. But I just, it's impossible for me to do it anymore. I'm still going to do my in-laws because, you know, in-laws. But uh, for uh, the people on my side of the family, I I finally had to put my foot down. Because like you said, it's just, sometimes you just have to say no. You, there's, there's a limit to how much you can please people. Yeah. And now... Uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, but from my own experience, I have always dreaded those times where I've agreed to do something and now I have to reset the expectations and I have to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore because my priorities have changed and I'm realizing that I'm spending too much time doing this thing that really isn't providing me personally any benefit. Every time I have done that, literally every time, I've expected people to respond negatively And at first, there's a little bit of disappointment. That's true that, oh, you can't do this anymore? Well, I guess I'll figure something else out. But every time, literally, they have actually more respect for me because I said no to that thing than they did before when I was just accommodating. Yep, the exact same thing happened. Uh, They're just like, oh, okay, we'll get uh, this other person to do it. No problem. And that that was that. (laughs) So I wish I had done this like four years ago. But anyway... Sometimes it takes us a while to learn these things. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, let's move on to the uh, the other coaching call here, which again, the name has been changed to protect the innocent. We'll call this person John. Uh, John is a high school choir teacher who has a hard time getting work done in the afternoon. They don't feel like doing anything between 1 and 3 p.m. John, you are definitely not alone in that. <laughs> yeah. But John's situation is kind of unique because he doesn't have anybody looking over his shoulder. He's not really accountable to anyone, which makes it very easy for him to procrastinate. And he's tried a couple different things to maintain his focus. He's tried starting a a work journal. Uh, But the real issue that we identified from talking to John was that he's having to manage his energy levels, which we did a podcast recently on energy levels. We'll put the link to that in the, the show notes. Uh, But managing those energy levels between 1 and 3 p.m. is really the area where he's going to get a lot of benefit if if he's able to do that. Uh, But also he's struggling with some other things. He doesn't know what the expectations are of all the organizations that he's involved in. Uh, He mentioned that he's really involved with his church. uh, And I totally understand the different expectations between a volunteer organization like that and a, a workplace environment where people are getting paid to show up. So uh, any other details you would add on on John before we talk about some of the solutions and strategies for him? Yeah, like a, a big problem uh, he had was he knows there's these these things he should be doing, but one o'clock comes around and he just says, first of all, the energy is low, like like we talked about, but also because but also he just doesn't he doesn't even have feel that he can figure out what he should be doing, you know, like what he should actually start working on because he's, he's tired. And, uh, that's a pretty common thing too. And a lot of times because we haven't mapped out what we need to do, uh, when it comes to actually, we maybe have some opportunities where we could theoretically do things because we haven't mapped it out. Then we just say, ah, I'm just going to watch TV or whatever. Not saying that this is what John does watch TV, but but that's what happens uh, because we haven't planned these things out. Yep, that any benefit approach, it will get you every time if you don't have a plan. Like it was 
Benjamin Franklin who said that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I've been in that place where I literally have failed to plan every single day. And there have been times like John where it's the middle of the day, I've got prime time to work on something and I just don't feel like doing anything and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like you said, planning that next day ahead of time, that is going to be really important in John's case. uh, Kind of the specific advice is to prepare those classes for the next day before you even go home. Another thing that might work for John that has worked for me is to get up and change your environment. I know we've talked on the podcast before. You're a big fan of walking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will sometimes just grab, uh, I'll go take my dog for a walk. And just being able to physically get out of the house and to go into quote unquote nature, but just getting outside essentially uh, is going to have a very positive effect on you physically and mentally. And one of the specific strategies that I like to use when I go for a walk is this whole idea of productive meditation, which comes from Cal Newport in the book Deep Work, where you're not having an input. So you're not grabbing your earbuds and listening to a podcast. You're just walking and you're thinking. You're thinking about a specific problem that you have to solve. But the fact that you are not in your normal environment, for me, not in front of a computer screen, you think about the problem different and you see different solutions that way. And a lot of times I'll go and I'll just go for this productive meditation, take my dog for a walk for 15 minutes, whatever. By the time I come back, I've got a solution that is pretty good. And I never would have gotten it if I would have stayed in the same environment. Yeah. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're getting out and and changing things up, which helps, but you're also just kind of noodling on that, on that solution. So yeah, it's great. And the thing with John and I, if I remember, Jane had this problem as well, and definitely a lot of a lot of the interview responses did is the power of of identifying next actions can't really be uh, overstated. A lot of times, if we have if we know what the next actions are for all of our different projects and the things we need to do, that really takes a lot of the heavy lifting out. Then, when you do have those opportunities for a couple hours here and there or whatever, if you know that the specifically defined next thing you should do, then it makes things so much easier. You just sit down and you're like, oh, okay, I need to do X. And then you start doing it rather than sitting down and thinking, oh, what should, what should I do now? So that that really helps getting the ball rolling. Yeah, definitely. So maybe let's talk about some specific strategies now for John to achieve balance. We've given him some solutions kind of specifically to uh, solving the problem that he's experiencing at work. But like I said, he's got multiple areas of responsibility, managing different expectations between these different organizations. So there were a couple of specific strategies that we had identified here for him to help achieve that life balance. Uh, Let's get into these. And number one, this sounds really simple, but it is so important. is to identify all the responsibilities and dependencies that you have. I did this the other day. I identified all of the different things that I have to do for the different commitments that I've made in any given week. And it was pretty surprising to think about it that way because a lot of these things, you don't think about it, especially ones that have like variable deadlines where it's not every single week that I have to deliver this thing. It's not every single week that I have to serve in this particular role at my church or whatever. You can kind of sweep that under the rug and be like, oh, well, I don't, that's not really something that I have to do every week, but it's on there. It's on there enough to steal time away from the other things that you could be doing. And so if you were to take 
the time to identify all the different responsibilities that you have committed to, and then also the people that are depending on you for deliverables in those different areas, things that you are that you have to do, then you might be shocked at the list. And you have to understand that first before you can really decide, yes, I want to do this thing. No, I, w- I don't want to do that thing anymore. Yeah, you really will see the opportunities of what you can cut, if anything. But a lot of times there there are there is a surprising number of things that you realize, hey, this is what I'm responsible for, but I don't actually need to be responsible for this. Or this person's depending on me for X, but there's really no reason why they couldn't do it too. So the only real way to find that out is to sit down and map it out. Yep, you have to shift those responsibilities to people for things that, you're doing, but you don't necessarily have to be doing. There's there's quite a few things that we just agree to do, but really could be delegated to someone else. And you'll never be able to delegate that until you identify that, yes, I actually did agree to do this thing in the first place. Uh, and having a whole bunch of different areas of responsibilities, different hats that you're wearing, like I said at the beginning, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to be okay with the decisions that you've made. And you also have to, the second uh, second strategy here is to be okay with what you are not doing. So just because something is good doesn't mean that it is the best thing for you to be doing at this given moment. You have to be okay with the things that you are choosing to say no to. David Allen said it this way. He said that you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. And a lot of times we just assume that like the superhero syndrome kicks in and we feel like we can do more than we, we really we really can. Uh, and you have to get all of these things on paper and you have to be okay with saying yes to certain things and no to certain things. Uh, and this is kind of the whole idea behind the 12-week year concept. So with the 12-week year, and this kind of gets back to the whole wheel of life exercise, which we kind of dissected Tan's wheel of life on a previous podcast episode, uh, you, you can't tackle all eight areas of your life in any 12-week year period. What you're going to want to do is you're going to want to pull the biggest levers, the ones that are going to provide the biggest return on your time, attention, energy, focus, investment, and you want to accomplish some specific goals in that 12-week period, which are going to move the needle in the areas that need the most attention. If you're doing great physically, yeah, maybe you're okay with skipping the gym one extra day, you know, during the, during the course of a week, because you really need to focus on that on a different area, you know, maybe it's uh, family and friends or something like that. You want to you want to create more meaningful relationships in your life. So obviously, you've got to spend time to do that. And so, if you are consciously saying no to a, to a specific area, uh, you're not saying no forever. You're just saying no for right now, for this short period of time, this 12 week year period of time. I'm not going to focus on this thing, and I'm going to divert my limited resources to this other thing, which really does need my attention. And there is a, a podcast episode on this, TPS 138, with uh, Dojo member Brandon Wentland, who created the 12-week year Dojo module, uh, which is actually one of my favorite modules in the Dojo because he also included a bunch of exercises that people can use to help implement this 12-week year stuff. But uh, this would be something that I would recommend, especially for Dojo members, if you're thinking about how do I become okay with what I'm not doing, implement something like the 12-week year because you physically can't do it all and you got it all on paper and it's very clear uh, the choices that you are making. Then you just got to follow your plan. Yeah, I uh, I have to say I enjoyed that that episode of you taking Tan through the wheel of life and counseling him. That, that was very entertaining for me. <laughs> but yeah, we... 
uh, we just had a, a company meeting yesterday or the day before uh, about this. And, and Tam was even talking about that, how, and I believe this is from uh, Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, how uh, as a company, but also as an individual, I think you have to be okay with what you're going to be bad at. Uh, so it's kind of along that same lines, but just look through a, a, a different lens that you're not going to be good at everything. So you either have to eliminate things or just be okay that it's not going to be your specialty. It, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting to hear you say that you apply this at a company level too, because I've heard it described, I can't remember if it was in the 12 week year book or not, but I definitely have heard multiple people reference this analogy of you personally as the CEO of you Inc. Mm. And when you think about it from a business perspective, yeah, of course, you're not going to try to do any to do everything. Uh, Apple has kind of famously focused on a few different products. They're generally not the first in any one of the technology areas that they choose to invest in. But when they do release a product, they've allowed the market to kind of shake out and they've learned from other people's mistakes prior. And then, you know, you can argue whether they're successful in this approach, but they are the most successful or most uh, profitable company anyways in the world at the, at the time that we're recording this. So they're doing a pretty good job, at least on that metric, but uh, they try to release the very best product in the product category, not just to be the, the first. Uh, and Steve Jobs famously, when he came back to Apple, got rid of all the extra stuff that they were working on. And he had that famous four, uh, four product grid, a professional and a, a personal desktop and a professional and personal laptop. And that was basically it. And their focus at the company was to create the very best products they could in those specific product categories, which I think is the perfect example for this 12 week year concept. You know, you're not going to try and be the best at every single thing, but you are going to try to be the best at these specific things for this small period of time. And a lot of times we feel bad. Like we, a lot of times we feel down, like, Oh, I'm not good at X or, or I should be doing Y. And if there's something specific you want to improve, of course, definitely go ahead and improve it, but don't feel bad about yourself. And, And because a lot of times we feel bad about it and then we get down and then that leads to these other negative behaviors. Whereas you can, you can still improve things if you want to, but Sometimes you just say, yeah, that's not my specialty, but this over here is my specialty. So that's okay. Don't, don't, uh, fall down that negative cycle. Yep, absolutely. And kind of the third strategy kind of goes along with this, but I think it's important to call this out because the 12 week year, essentially you're picking a couple different areas cause you're looking at a larger, a larger period of time, 12, 12 weeks. But when it comes to how you're spending your time on any given, at any given moment, uh, the third strategy that I would give John is focus on one thing at a time. And this, again, is something that probably people have heard over and over and over again. But unless you're really implementing this, you you don't really get it. Uh, you can hear this intellectually. And if you're not actually applying it, you're not going to understand the benefit that this can provide. One of the best ways that I heard this articulated was from the book Essentialism by Greg McKeown, where he talks about the history of the word priority. This was just fascinating to me. Priority came into the English language in the 1400s as a singular noun. It literally meant the very first or prior thing, and it stayed singular for about the next 500 years. 
but it's pretty common now, especially in a larger organization, to have multiple different levels of priority, but it really wasn't until the 1900s that people started pluralizing that word and talking about those multiple priorities. And kind of illogically, what we reason is that by changing the word, we can bend reality, and somehow we would be able to have multiple first things, which is just not possible. Yeah, yeah it's always funny. The And I remember Mer- Merlin Mann used to have a uh, a thing about this on early episodes of Back to Work, where he would talk about these people he'd work with in his career, and they'd they'd say, oh, you know, I have 37 different priorities or whatever. But if you have 37 priorities, that means you, you, you essentially have no priorities. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> All right. And then uh, the other thing kind of under this topic, focusing on the one thing at a, t- at a time, uh, what we do when we try to accommodate people, whether it be via email or in person and do things that we really shouldn't be doing, is that we are attempting to rewrite the definition of the word priority. We are subscribing to this false definition where we can have multiple different priorities so we can keep all of this stuff balanced. It's just not possible. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you're not a superhero. You can do anything, but you cannot do everything. So you have to be okay on the thing with the things that you are not doing. And magically, you know, when you are okay with, uh, with the things that you are not doing, that frees you up to focus on that one thing and the quality of your work at that given moment ends up being much, much better. Absolutely. All right. Anything else you want to add for Jane or John on the topic of wearing multiple hats or multiple areas of responsibility? The only thing is with with John, I remember another thing that we kind of touched on is how in his role, and I think a lot of a lot of people have situations like this where he doesn't really have anyone watching over his shoulder. He doesn't have necessarily a, a supervisor that is on him to do certain things. And, and some people respond well to that. They're, they're very intrinsically motivated. They, they're going to get their stuff done without that thing. Other people uh, basically don't do as well in that scenario where they're more extrinsically motivated and they really benefit from people reporting things to not necessarily in a work uh, a reporting standpoint but just somebody to share things with so some good solutions to that sort of thing when you don't have this person you need to to give your work to is having some sort of accountability buddy somebody that you that is in a maybe not the direct same thing but a sort of similar thing that you can share your successes and and hold each other accountable and mastermind groups and stuff like that is helpful for that as well. Having a group of people that you're sharing what you're doing and you just feel, even if they're not on you to finish things, you feel that you, you kind of need to get stuff done because you know, you're going to be talking to this group. So that might be something that John wants to look at other, other people in similar roles, maybe in other schools in the area or something like that. If you like this podcast episode, then you're going to love what we have coming up next. And no, it's not the dojo. You already know all about our amazing training library and thriving productivity community, which you can access by going to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo and signing up for just a dollar for your first month. Today, we have something even better. We are hosting a free online training workshop 
called How to Unlock Your Productivity Genius and Get a Year's Worth of Work Done in the Next 30 Days, which will show you more advanced strategies and case studies of how people like myself, Tan, Brooks, and other Asian Efficiency listeners and readers have accomplished taking more action on our goals in 30 days than most people do in an entire year. This is the type of information people sometimes charge hundreds of dollars for, but for a limited time, we're making it available for listeners like you for free. Now, this training is going to take place on Tuesday, June 13th, which means that if you are listening to this the day it is released, you've got about one week to sign up for this free training. And it's also the first time we've made this training available to our podcast audience, so I'm sure it's going to be full. And if you want to make sure you've got a spot, you'll want to head over to theproductivityshow.com slash deep work and sign up now since space is limited. It's first come, first serve, so don't wait if you want to join us for this free training. Run, don't walk to your computer or smartphone, and go to theproductivityshow.com slash deep work to reserve your spot. On the training, we'll also give away free copies of Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. So if you want to see how to apply these concepts to your own life and get a chance to win a free copy of Deep Work, make sure you sign up for that free training by going to theproductivityshow.com slash deep work. And if you're listening to this after the training has already taken place, you can still try that link and we'll try to provide a replay for you so you can still benefit from the information even if you can't make it, but no guarantees. You can also find links to everything that we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 146. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Productive Monday. Productive Monday.